One of my mentors, and I don't use that word lightly, mentors, but one of my mentors, Crawford Loritz, who has probably been used by God to influence me as much as anyone over the last 20 years, we were hanging out one day and he made this observation. He said, experience is not always a good teacher, but it is the only school a fool will ever attend. And when he said that, I started laughing and I was like, that's true. Experience. We've all had experiences and you and I know if we're wise, we will learn from our experiences. We've all had mistakes and failures in our life. Every person in this room, including me, we've had our share of mistakes. We've had our share of failures. And if we're wise, we will learn from them. But I also believe that we can learn from the failures and mistakes of other people. When we look around us and we uh, walk with different people through different seasons and chapters of their life, we can learn some things from the failures and mistakes that others make. From the Christian realm of leaders and pastors over the years, I remember seeing the narrative unfold with Jim Baker. Y'all remember that? And there were so many headlines and things that came out, and I was like, what can we learn there? And then Gordon McDonald, who is a Christian speaker, writer, I read his book, Ordering Your Private World. And he was a pastor and ended up taking a position as the lead for inner varsity ministries. And Gordon McDonald had to step down because of immorality and unfaithfulness. And then he wrote a book shortly after called Rethinking Your Private World. Jimmy Swaggart, the, the, the list goes on. But as I look at these guys, I'm like, what can we learn? There's a guy in scripture that is given a, he's given a lot of chef space, even in kids' ministry, specifically in kids' ministry. But his life was marked with a ton of personal failures. Samson is his name. And, and a lot of times when people think of Samson, they, they think of how strong and good-looking he was, right? He had this incredible strength, and he had these great looks about him. Like Nick Slade does, right? When you think of Samson, just think of Nick Slade today with a life that did it right. But no, Samson was anointed by God. He was called by God. For 20 years, he was a ruler in Israel. And God had his hand on Samson's life. God wanted to do something with Samson's life. But Samson kept getting in the way. He was born and he was given this Nazarite vow. When you start to study it, it's like, all right, uh, here's what we want you to do. His mom and dad came to him and said, you're, you're going to take this Nazarite vow. Like, what does that mean? Well, he was supposed to stay out of bars, and he was supposed to stay out of barbershops. That's the easy way to remember it, right? Samson, here's the deal, dude. Don't get your hair cut. Stay out of the barbershops and stay away from bars. But in spite of all that God wanted to do in his life, he blew it. And he wasted so much of his life that could have been redeemed for purposeful work for the Lord because of his stupid decisions that he continued to make. You ever felt that way? Wonder what God could do with me. Wonder what God would have done with me if I hadn't have continued to make so many stupid choices and decisions. And I think one of the things that we've got to look at this morning is how do I overcome me? How do I get out of the way? How, how can I stay, uh, take some of those healthy strides to put myself in a position to experience God, 
but yet to eliminate a bunch of bonehead decisions. Now, Judges chapter 13 through 16, we kind of find the narrative of Samson. And I've sat there and I've read through it out of the ESV and the NASB and the NLT, New Living Translation or whatever. But I'm like, I want to read through this and see what we can get from Samson. I told you guys a few years back that uh, when I was playing ball, I played with a guy named Ken Caminetti. Ken Caminetti was a National League All-Star. Ken Caminetti uh, was the National League MVP, led the league in hitting one year. I'll never forget uh, just how much uh, success Ken had in the game. But when Ken was about 41 years old, he OD'd on crack cocaine, and he was found dead in New York. Now, I played with Ken. I knew he had a lot of a a lot of addictive style uh, tendencies in his life. Years go by, and about five years ago, I get this email, and the guy said, would you do an interview with me? And I said, sure. So Dan Good, who is an ABC editor uh, for that network, he contacts me and says, I'm writing a book on the life of Ken Caminetti. And I was sharing this with Nick. We talked for an hour. He's asking all these questions. And then he said, I got one more question for you. I'm like, cool. He said, here's my question. If we learn anything from the life of Ken Caminetti, Tim, what do you think we learned? Now, now think about that. I thought it was a brilliant question. You've had people in your life. You've had people that have shipwrecked it. You've had people that died premature deaths. You've had things happen with you. And I started thinking about that question. If we learn anything from Samson's life, what do we learn? What can we extract and take away? And I would highly encourage you, no matter who you're with and what you're reading and what you're pondering, ask that question. If I can learn anything from this person's life, what would it be? Even in the midst of great tragedy and chaos and pain, what, what can I personally learn because experience is not always a good teacher, but it is the only school a fool will ever attend. I can learn from the mistakes and failures of other people as well as those things that they do well. I want to give you three observations from Samson. Number one would be this, develop self-control. We learn that when we study the life of Samson, Judges 13 through 16, those chapters. Samson had two major weaknesses in his life. And these two weaknesses that he had in his life were a lethal combination of his destruction. He had a brutal temper, and he had major problems with physical desires called lust. When you take those two, anger and lust, and combine them together, and you never deal with them and allow the Lord to redeem them, I'm telling you right now, they can screw up your life. I'm reading through the narrative of Samson. He, he was a revenge-happy maniac. I mean, he wanted revenge, and he was going to attack no matter what happened. Listen to this right here. Judges chapter 14 says Samson killed 30 men just to get their clothes because he burned with anger. Now, we're, we're seeing the destruction of anger and hatred and all this chaos over the last week. I woke up early Monday morning. I was going to read, flip the TV on down in Destin, and I'm like, what happened in Vegas? It, it was anger. It was hate. It's evil. And I start to read through Samson's life, and he's like, I killed 30 guys just to take their clothes. 
And we see this nonsense going on today, right? Kids killing kids because I want your shoes. Really? What kind of anger is that? It says that he set a field on fire. He got 300 foxes, tied their uh, tails together, got a torch, set their tails on fire, thus igniting the foxes and released them into these fields because he was ticked off and said, I'm going to burn down all of their fields, all of their grain, all of their plant. Like, really? That, that, That doesn't sound like a dude who was anointed by God, right? I mean, why are you so mad? Another time when you start to read it, he says, uh, I swear I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. What you did to me, I will pay you back. That's not a spirit-filled life, right? That doesn't sound real healthy. I I was reading where he says, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. Really? You you took a dead donkey and took the jawbone out of a donkey and just beat the hell out of and killed a thousand men? And this was a guy that was in, in leadership. He was a ruler in Israel. He was supposed to be representing God, and he was flooded with anger. When you seek revenge, it invites retaliation and chaos to keep coming back to you. When you throw a stick in anger, you're actually throwing a boomerang that's going to come back right at you with so much more force. And so I start to study through this, and I'm like, he never got control of his anger. And you've got to ask the question, do I have a bad temper? Do I have anger issues? Because you can't put it in a compartment. You you can't have it over here in this little isolated area of your life. If you battle anger issues and bitterness and just hate, and if you've got that stuff in you and you never deal with that, I promise you it's going to show up in so many areas of your life. And we can learn from Samson. Man, he didn't have self-control. He had major angers. But you you should do a study and and ponder that yourself going, what areas of my life am I mad? Where, Where do I just speak shame and condemnation and ridicule on others? Here's another thing, though. He had major lust issues. I'm reading through here, and it says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman there. He went down to Timnah, and he saw this young Philistine woman. Another scripture in uh, chapter 16 says, one day Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw and hung out with a prostitute. I'm like, what are you doing? Samson was physically strong, but he was morally weak. And and there's so many people you meet, you go, they've got such strength in certain areas, but their moral compass is so weak, so depleted, it's, it's brutal. Samson continued to play a game of how close to the fire can I get without getting burned. And it eventually led to his destruction. And there's a lot of people that play that game. How close to the fire, how close to the edge can I get without really blowing it up? How how close to the edge can I get with flirting with this person? But then I justify saying, well, I've never been an adulteress and had sex. No, you open the door. Eventually, when you open it time after time after time, you're going to step over the line. So Samson ignored God's principles. 
God had, had made this statement to Samson as far as him being a Nazarite. Listen, Samson, don't go to bars, don't go to barbershops. But he goes to this place called Timnah. And I was researching Timnah. I'm like, what is Timnah? Why is that so bad? The name Timnah, write it down. The name Tenda, uh, Timnah means forbidden by God. He goes to a place that God says is forbidden. The very name of Timnah means don't go there. It's off limits. Timnah was known for its vineyards. Timnah was known for its wine. He wasn't supposed to go to bars, yet he's hanging out in a forbidden place that was known for their grapes and their wine. And, and I think about this. I think about this not only in parenting young boys and young men, but in shepherding a church. It's like I, I say this all the time. Watch your playgrounds. Watch your playgrounds. Watch what arenas you go into. Watch what kind of places you hang out in. We must watch where we go. What, what is the environment? It was a bad playground. And some people continue to make stupid choices because they continue to go to the wrong places. And what you do in certain places is already established and defined. Stay away from it. You're going to get burned. I mean, here's a principal thought. When we rationalize sinful pleasures, it will ruin our lives. When we rationalize, rational lies, it's just a lie that has become rational to us. And when you continue to do that, just this one time, this one time's not going to hurt me. And you keep flirting with it, I promise you, you're on the path to destruction What's this one time of getting high going to do? What's this one time of catching a buzz with Coke going to do? What's this one time of giving this chick my phone number going to do? What's this one time of cheating in this area going to do? And before you know it, you open up the door for Satan to eat your lunch. What's this one time going to hurt? Galatians chapter 6, 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. People reap what they sow. You eventually will reap what you sow, but the good news of the gospel is God gives us the power to break through the Holy Spirit those chains that keep us in captivity. We're told in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, and God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear, but with every temptation, God will make a way of, a, of escape so that you don't have to become a slave to it. No temptation is overtaking you as such as common to everybody else. Somebody has struggled with what you're struggling with. And it's like, man, if we could learn to get self-control, I've got to develop self-control. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit having my life there will be self-control. So I highly encourage you, we take away from Samson White, develop self-control. Lust and anger annihilated his life. Here's the second thing. Simple, simple. Choose your relationships wisely. Choose your friendships wisely. 
chapter 16, verses 4 through 6, it says, Sometime later, sometime later, he had gone to Timnah, he had gone to Gaza. He was already mad and seeking revenge and retaliation against everybody. Sometime later, doesn't say he dealt with his stuff, but sometime later, he fell in love with a woman whose name was Delilah. Oh, there she is. And he goes to forbidden to the place of vineyards where wine drinking is at large. And he hooks up later with Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines had sent her to Samson saying, see if he will show you where his strength is. See if you can lure him into telling you where his strength is. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength. He flirted with her. He was enamored with her. What's your name? My name is Delilah. Her name Delilah means to weaken or to eradicate. And some of us have invited Delilahs into our lives We've got people that weaken our character and weaken our value and weaken where we're going, but we allow them to sit around in conversation at times. You know it. Who, who am I hanging out with? I'm hanging out with Delilah. Where'd you meet her? I met her down in Timnah outside of Gaza. I went to the place of forbidden and hooked up with this chick that messed with my mind. He hung out with the wrong people in the wrong places and ended up getting into a wrong relationship. And his parents had begged him, don't do that. And he refused their counsel. When you study the scripture, they begged him, Samson, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't hook up with her. Don't do that. And he refused their counsel because God had made a covenant with the people of Israel to protect them so that they could stay pure to him. We look at the commands of God at times and we think they're there as preventions. God doesn't want us to have fun. No, they're protections. God wants us to be able to live whole, pure lives. He hooks up with Delilah, the one who weakens and eradicates. And when she asked him about the source of his strength, read it. He teased her. He teased her. Three different times she asked him, but he kept playing the tease and flirt game. Choose your relationships wisely. Choose your friendships wisely. His so-called friends led to his destruction. Here's something I wrote. Hanging out in the wrong places equals hooking up with the wrong people. Hanging out in the wrong places equals you will hook up with the wrong people. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked with a non-believer. Don't do it. Don't do it in marriage. Don't do it in business. Don't do it. Don't get don't, don't do it. When you're a believer and you say, I'm a child of God and I belong to the king, and you compromise that passage, do not be yoked, 
connected, partnering with a non-believer, with an unbeliever. And I have seen destruction after destruction. I know, but I like him and I thought I could change him. They embezzle three million in this account, Tim. I'm going to sue them. I hear you. But were you compatible when you went went into business with them? No. Why did you go into business with them? Because I was promised we would make a lot of money quick. You're going to sue him for living in accordance with his nature when you violated a command of God. I had players years ago. Three of them had gone in on this business deal. And they did. They lost about $3 million combined. And they're like, we're going to sue him. And I said, why did you go into business with him? What did you know about him? How did you get involved with it? And why? You knew he was a non-believer. You knew he had already established that he wasn't honoring God with his life. And people do that in marriages and they do that in relationships and they do that. Come on, come on, please listen to me. Choose your partnerships, your relationships, and your friendships wisely. I wrote this down. Grade your friends. Grade them. Grade grade them. Grade, Grade them. Do they encourage you or hinder you from seeking God's will and plan for your life? Grade them. Grade them. Do they add value to your life? Do they enhance your character? Do they tear you down or do they build you up? Now, 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 bam. What about your children and their friendships and relationships? Come on, parents, come on. This is huge. What what about them? Is that person adding value? Is that person increasing your character? Is that person coaching you and encouraging you to walk in the will of God? Proverbs, listen to me. Just, Just stay here. Proverbs. Oh, it warns about negative friendships. Listen to this. Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous, the righteous Choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now, people that are righteous are going to choose their friends carefully. But the way of the wicked will lead them astray. Grade your friends. Proverbs 14, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. A companion of fool will suffer harm. You violate these proverbial statements. I'm telling you, you're on a path of chaos. H, let's walk with the wise. Let's find people that are godly. Let's find people that are wise. Let's be mentored and discipled by them. But but you start hanging out with a fool. Proverbs 22, 24 and 25. Do not make friends with the hot-tempered. Do not associate with those who are easily angered, or you may learn their ways and you yourself get snared. Hey, you're hanging out with an idiot. They blow their top all the time. They're blowing a gasket all the time. Every time you're around them, they're ticked off about something. 
Do not make friends with the hot-tempered very quickly. You'll learn their stinking ways and become like them. Because here's, here, here's the thing. It's easier to get pulled down than it is to get lifted up. I'm telling you right now, if Nick and I were standing here side by side, and we brought Brian over and said, come on, we're going to pull you up. And Brian goes, no, I'm going to pull you down. We're bigger. But Brian being down could pull us down easier than we could pull him up. When you start hanging out with other people and you're on this great mission of God, but you know you're compromising where you're meeting this person and you're going to change them, I hate to burst your bubble. You're not that good. You're not that good. I'm not that good. And so Proverbs 24, verse 1, listen to this one. Do not envy the wicked. Do not even desire their company. You, you, you see the wicked? You see that which is evil? You see that which you know is wrong? What are you saying? I'm saying develop self-control and choose relationships wisely. We take that from, Solomon, or from Samson here. Samson, you jacked up some crucial areas that if you violate, they're going to lead to your destruction. Here's the last one. Remember who you belong to. Remember who you belong to. Chapter 16, verse 28, at the very, very end of the Samson narrative, basically. It says you got to circle it. you got to pay attention to it. It says, then Samson prayed. Then. What do you mean, then he prayed? He never invested in his spiritual life. Chapters 13 through 16 give us no indication of any spiritual pulse he had. He lived for himself. He did his own thing. He was not accountable. His selfish desires destroyed him. He neglected honoring God for years. Then, then, he prays. What what had happened? Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just one more time. Let me with one blow, listen to what he's asking for, just with one more blow. Give me strength just one more time so that I can get revenge on the Philistines for plucking out my two eyes. Oh, Samson, stop it. You're wanting God to bless you one more time so that you can retaliate against those that have shaved your head and plucked out your eyes Because you didn't have self-control, you didn't seek God, you didn't watch your relationships, but here you are, skinhead, blind, and you're asking God to bless you just one more time. It's crazy. It's crazy. I opened the door, I made the choices, I jacked it up, God, God, God. Let me get revenge on them one more time. Okay. Okay. But he really doesn't pray until the very end. 
And we, 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 we would save ourselves so many problems. And we would save ourselves so much pain if we would remember who we belong to daily, every hour. Remember who you belong to, Samson. Remember who made you. Remember who anointed you. Remember who gave you the strength. Just remember, dude. And a lot of times, that's the counseling that we give people. I mean, that's the reason even in the book of Revelation, as he looks at the church at Laodicea, he goes, you've got to remember your first love. You've become so carnal. And I started thinking about this. I started pondering, why did he wait until pretty much everything had fallen apart before he considered God? And that that would be the question for us, right? Why do we oftentimes wait until everything has fallen apart? We've lost it all. After we have pursued everything we can in the carnal flesh of exercising our will and our thrill, why do we wait? And it's like, I'm going to pray. That's good. I'm glad you still got breath. But why do we wait? He lost his freedom. He became a slave. He lost his eyes. He couldn't see. He was a prisoner. And I'm like, but at least he did cry out to God at the end. And God extends grace. And God extends love. Don't miss this. Don't miss this verse 22 of chapter 16 it says while he was in prison the hair on his head began to grow back here's what that statement is his hair was not the source of his strength his hair was only a sign of his strength that he had from God And some of us think we've blown it so much. Some of us think that we have made such a miserable mess out of things. And we see Samson right there at the end. God, would you just give me strength one more time? These people had gone down to this pagan temple place called Dagon. And all of these people came there to mock him, to ridicule him, to just belittle him, and to mock and ridicule the God of Israel. All of these people come down. I mean, the roof is filled with people, and they're there to mock and to ridicule and to condemn and to slander. And we know the story if we've read it. He says, God, just give me strength one more time. And there in between those two pillars and those two posts, he pushed with every ounce of strength that he had, and it collapsed killing everybody on the roof, everybody inside, including himself. Including himself. Now, Samson, this is crazy. Samson makes Hebrews chapter 11. Samson makes the chapter that is considered the hall of faith. The hall of fame of 
biblical, faithful people. Because at the end, God said, I'm going I'm to grace you. I'm going to extend mercy. I'm not done with you. That would be the statement to you. I'm going to grace you. I know you've messed it up at times. I have. I, I know you've colored outside the lines. I have. But God, in his relentless tenderness, looks down and says, I'm not done with you. I want you to trust me. I want you to believe that I'm good. I want you to believe that I can redeem your story. I want you to believe that your story matters. I want you to believe there's still hope. And when we start to, to, to walk in that, God believes in me. And we believe in you. We believe so many people get close to this contemplation that God is good and God is loving and God is redemptive. They get close, but then they allow the guilt and the shame of their narrative to shut them down and they empower their past instead of embracing the future of what God can do, Butch. There's so many guys, that, so many gals that get there saying, I want to believe it. But you don't know how jacked up my narrative and how jacked up my story and how jacked up my pain is. God's for you. It's not too, if you've got a breath, it's never too late to cry out to Jesus. So you've messed it up. God wants to redeem your story. I promise you, he wants to redeem your story. But we have to be willing to embrace the grace of God and not the guilt and shame of our past as being what defines us to say, then do something with me. Do something with me. And as the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit starts to take over our lives and establishes root inside of us, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit starts to manifest himself by giving you self-control. The Holy Spirit starts to give you illumination and revelation in your mind, where you're able to choose your friendships and relationships more wisely. And the Holy Spirit inside of you will cause you throughout the day, no matter where you're at, whether you're driving down the road, whether you're at a sports uh, uh, activity, no matter what you're doing, the Holy Spirit will, will allow you to remember who you belong to, no matter where you're at. And that's what God wants you to believe today. I want you to know that I love you, I made you, I redeemed you, and you belong to me. You belong to me. So we're going to move into a time of prayer and a time in, of, of communion here in a few moments after the offering. The prayer time, let, let me just say this, the prayer time that we've had here recently has been off the chain. Revival happens. Revival happens when confession and repentance and surrender starts to happen in each and every one of our lives. There was a young guy at our house, 19-year-old dude, at our house on Thursday. Jesse, my son, and Ash, this other kid that's living with us, had been reaching out to him, building rapport, building rapport. My son Benji was there. These dudes are straight after it when it comes to reaching their their peers. This kid goes, well, I got saved when I was young. And I said, what, what does that mean? Oh, well, uh, 
I prayed this prayer. What, what, what does that mean? He goes, I don't know. I said, what does salvation mean? What does biblical salvation look like? I said, Benji, what does it look like? He goes, raw confession and repentance and surrender. And he tells his story. And the young guy looks and says, I've never done that. I said, so what is your first step? He goes, to confess, repent, and surrender. I said, that's right. I said, when are you going to do it? He said, immediate. I said, give me a working definition of immediate. And Benji goes, now. He goes, yes, now. He flips his hat off and begins to confess. I've been busted for alcohol. I've done weed. I've done this. I've done that. I've jacked my life up. But he starts to cry out, God, save me. Take over my life. And I'm like, cool. I felt like he meant it. Then I looked at him after his prayer, and I said, what's your next step? He said, baptism. I said, that's right. When are you going to do that? He said, how about next Sunday, the 15th? I said, why? Well, Benji's going to be sharing some, but Ash and Jesse have really led me to Christ. Who's going to baptize you? Ash gave his life to Christ in June, and he goes, I want Ash to baptize me because he's the one that's pointed me to Jesus. I said, Ash, are you willing to baptize him? He goes, yes. That kid believed that even though he had no self-control up until these last days, he had chosen his friendships and his playgrounds in a stupid way. He believed that if he remembered who God was and came to that God who had extended grace, he could be made new. He could be made new. And so can you.